We are continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed just to give you a foreshadowing of what's to come. Um, because I was gone a week, that messed up my schedule, and I previously had it lined up so that the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, we were going to talk about that on Pentecost Sunday, which is next week, but now that I've pushed it out, we're going to go in it out of order so that we can keep Pentecost Sunday talking about the Holy Spirit. So next week, we're going to be talking about the work of Pentecost, at Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to read ahead. Um, I encourage you to read the scripture that I'll be putting out this week because Pentecost, it should be like Christmas for us. The coming of the Spirit during Pentecost is one of the great days of our faith, and so we're going to be celebrating that next week together. I encourage you to be here for that. Today we are looking at the statement that we believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and then on the third day he rose from the dead. What does that statement mean to us in faith, and how can we live into that statement as followers of Christ. The scripture we're going to look at surrounding that today is from Luke 23. It is the narrative about part of that time of Jesus's life. Let us read that scripture together. Luke 23 tells us this. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Waiting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crimes has this man committed? I have found, him, I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and release him. But the, with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand, he released the man who has been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, Thanks be to God indeed. Genesis 2 tells us, or actually Genesis 1, that God created in the beginning, he said, let there be light, and there was light where there was nothing before. Then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water, and there was. And God said, let there be water under the sky gathered into one place. And in these statements, the world was formed. God said, let there be lights in the sky. And so we have the sun and the moon and the stars. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And then God said, because of this land, in this land, for this land, and for me, let us create mankind in our image in the image of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God 
and God's holiness and God's goodness created the heavens and the earth and created all of humanity. And the humanity that God created not only got to live on earth, but this humanity had the privilege of living in perfection. This perfection was demonstrated by something we call the Garden of Eden. You've probably heard stories about it, but have you really considered what it meant for the first of God's creation, Adam and Eve, to live in this place of perfection? I mean, picture it. There was water when they needed water. There was food when they needed food. There was perfection in their relationship, man and wife. There was perfection in their relationship with God. God literally walked with them in this garden. They had unmarred um, access to the creator of heaven and earth. They lived in what was only something that you and I can imagine because it does not exist today. This perfection does not exist. And it doesn't exist because along with creation, some of our favorite truth, my favorite truth, really I'm being sarcastic because it's not my favorite truth, this thing that God did, God allowed you and I the ability to choose whether or not we wanted to live in God's perfection or if we wanted to live according to our own understanding of the world. And we are told in Genesis 3 that God's first creation, Adam and Eve, chose to live according to their own understanding. Having given them only one rule, not to eat from the tree of knowledge, they ate from that tree choosing to follow their own understanding, choosing to follow their own hearts, choosing to follow their own pride in life. And because of that choice, there are ripple effects that happen in that moment in history that extend far out into our moment in history today. Because of that choice, Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, no longer allowed to live in perfection, no longer allowed to live in a perfect relationship with God, and no longer allowed to have unmarred access with their creator. And the effects of that decision extend far out to us today. Who we are as a human race was changed in that one moment. But who we are as a human race is always changed every day when you and I make decisions too. You see, just like Adam and Eve and their decisions having ripple effects into humanity, so do our decisions. The sin of Adam and Eve touched many, but the sin of you and I also touch many. And that's true whether or not we sin in such a way that we murder like we talked with the kids. Or if we sin in ways that we would consider small. Little white lies about whether or not we paid our taxes or brushed our teeth. These things that we choose that are not God's perfect plan for us create ripple effects that not only impact our lives but impact the lives of others. When we look at the shooting that happened this week, that shooting was a result 
not only of one broken human's life, because that child was broken. That child who did those horrible things was hurting. And that child made a decision that impacted so many lives. But before that happened, there were decisions that were made not by that person that impacted their life, that created the brokenness in that human, that created the brokenness that led to more brokenness. And you and I are called by God to be agents of change in lives that are broken so that this world can be like it was God originally demanded, like God originally created. But how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we as humans who sin, as humans who constantly choose against what's best, how do we live into a world that is so broken and how do we experience the grace of God that God intends for us to experience? And the how comes from our scripture today, from our statement of faith today, this understanding that God sent God's son so that you and I would no longer be slaves to the sin that breaks this world, so that we would have the ability to choose goodness over evil, and so that all of the sins of the world that are created would be justified. And what I mean by justified is not made right because they were good acts, but made holy and pure because Jesus stood on the cross in the place of us. Because our God is not only holy, but our God is just. And there must be justice in this world. So let's look at what this statement means. The statement that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he ascended, from in, from, ascended into heaven. What does that mean? I think we could tell most of us who have been in church for even just a small part of time, we could tell you some basics about that. Well, okay, Jesus, you know, stood on a cross died for our sins, suffered by being beaten, by being turned, uh, have his, had his friends leave him before then. But what does that all mean for our life today other than the fact that Jesus is our Savior? And how do we live into that? There's three things that you need to understand about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. The first is that they knew it was going to happen. It was expected from the moment that Adam and Eve, we started in the garden today, because from the moment that Adam and Eve made a choice that impacted all of the rest of humanity, God had a plan to rectify what happened on that day. And every sin that has happened after that, and every sin that's going to happen from now until the end of eternity, God has a plan for justice, for holiness. And that plan was set into motion on that day when sin first entered the world. And that plan was Jesus Christ coming. It was expected. You can see it all throughout the Old Testament. There was a calling. There was a marking. There's showings that we were planning that God knew, that the people knew that God was going to send someone to fix what was done. 
What happened was Jesus was wholly expected. Jesus even talked about it in his ministry. Jesus says in his ministry to his disciples that he is leaving. Jesus says to them in Matthew, if we look at the scripture of Matthew, Jesus says to them that he has to die, that it's coming. He tells them multiple times that he came to accomplish one thing, and that was to die for us. But we also need to understand that what Jesus did was not only expected, it was necessary. We're told in Matthew um, 20, in Matthew 16, that verses 21, it says, from the time that Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief of priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day rose from the life. It was expected, but it was also necessary. He had to do it. And I remember when I was growing in faith, I remember when I first came to faith that I believed that my God, remember my God, not God, but the God that I knew, the God that I understood, would not require such a horrible thing as the death of his son in order for justice to happen on this earth. I remember struggling with the idea that my God would require such a sacrifice. But as I grew in faith, I came to understand and came to reconcile my heart with this truth. Because my God is not only a good and loving God, my God is also a just God. And how is there justice in this world if we are not meant to pay for the things that we have done wrong? If those around us are not meant to pay for the things that they have done wrong? You know, as we are parents, it is the hardest thing in the world to punish my children. I don't know if you have that problem as parents, but I hate doing it because not only does it make them sad and make me sad, it also makes my life harder. When they're grounded, I have to pay, I have to do things I wouldn't have to do if my kids weren't grounded. If I take away their privileges, like their devices or their computer or don't let them watch something, then guess what? My life changes too. And they complain a lot. Right? It is so hard to be a good parent in this world. Well, so-and-so's parents don't do that. Well, so-and-so's parents don't require that. Well, they say they can. Well, what I did wasn't that bad. And let me just tell you right now, sorry, my children, as you're watching, we still have the lying about brushing the teeth. And my kids are 17, 15, and 11. <laughs> How hard is it, my friends, to simply wake up and brush your teeth? And then why do you have to lie about it? Because as Blake said, you can smell it. <laughs> or maybe that was Benjamin, right? It's obvious. Being a parent is one of the most difficult things, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I don't discipline my children, if I don't follow through with the things that I say are going to happen, if they don't step in line, guess what's going to happen to my children? They're going to have a harder time in this world. The decisions that they make are going to cause more ripple effects that are negative than are, that are positive. Because not only do we create negative ripple effects, we create positive ripple effects in this world. And if we don't parent well, which is honestly the hardest thing I've ever done, and I really sure am I'm not doing it well most of the time, 
But if we do a good job, we can create ripple effects with our children that change the world for good. But if we do a poor job parenting, if we let our kids do whatever they want, we're going to create ripple effects in this world that affect not only them, but their families and their children and their relationships with others. Because the reality is, as humans, you and I are going to sin. We are going to mess up. We are not going to be perfect, but we need guardrails. We need people keeping us in line. And we need consequences to our actions. Not only because it teaches us, but also, if there weren't consequences, imagine what the world would look like today. I mean, it's bad now. Imagine what it would look like without that. In fact, if there isn't consequence for sin, then there is no sin. Think about that for a minute. If there is no justification, if, if there is no justice in this world, if God doesn't care about justice, first of all, God's not good. But secondly, everything is okay. So, Knowing that we were going to choose against God's best, knowing that we were going to sin, knowing that we were going to use our freedom of choice to choose against what was best for us in this world, God put a place in action so that you and I wouldn't have to pay the price, so that you and I wouldn't have to make the sacrifices that had been made before in order for us to experience life on this earth, freedom on this earth freedom from sin, freedom in forgiveness, and freedom in love. And that's accomplished by Jesus' work, not only in suffering, because the suffering is important. Jesus suffered just as sinners will suffer. And then Jesus hung on that cross intentionally, on purpose, so that you and I would not have to pay the price for the sins that we created in this world. Because sin is real. Sin is impactful. From the smallest of sins to the greatest of sins. And really, I don't know if in God's kingdom there is a measurement like we want to think. I want to think that sometimes. I want to think that my sins are not as bad as Guy's sins. I mean... Just, but the truth is that anything that I do that puts a gap between me and God and a gap between me and others is a sin that creates an impact in this world, whether or not we see those impacts. The work on the cross was expected and it was necessary. Part of that necessary nature of the work on the cross comes from us understanding something that happens um, in all of the, in three of the Gospels. We're told that as Jesus stood on the cross, the moment that Jesus died, the veil of heaven was torn in two. And I want to talk about this veil so that we can understand what it means that it was necessary for Christ to die for us. We are told here that as Jesus, it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus hung on that cross, feeling our sins, the weight and the burden 
of all that had been done and all that will be done from that point on until the end of the age. Jesus felt that sin and pain. And then after he was offered vinegar, a nice, Jesus hung on the Christ and cried out one more time in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. And it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. It's important for us to understand what this veil is and what that means for us in our faith, because not only was it necessary Expected, it was necessary. And here's why it's necessary. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there became a block between humanity and the creator. There became a veil, a wall between all of creation and God. No longer did we have easy access to God. No longer could we just stand before God because we were not holy like God is holy. God is so holy that you and I cannot stand in the presence of God without a mediator. And so in the beginning of the Israelite faith, they had the Ark of the Covenant, which was the representation of God's presence with them. And guarding that Ark, guarding God's presence was a veil. And this veil was a deep, dark purple, like the, the, what the sky would look like at night. And this veil could only be passed through one time a year by the highest priest. And that was on the Day of Atonement, the day where sins were reckoned with once a year. The priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, stand before the Ark of the Covenant, stand before the tabernacle, the presence of God, and atone for the sins of all through a sacrifice. But that was the only way that people could be in relationship with God, was through a priest, was through a mediator. And it was only once a year that that person could even be in the presence of the Creator. And until you and I as humans in today's life, accept the work of Jesus on the cross into our lives, which means we have to have faith to believe that Jesus is real. We have to have faith to believe that Jesus hung on a cross for a reason, for a purpose that was necessary in our lives. Until we accept that moment, you and I will always have a veil between us and the Creator. For those who have accepted Christ into their life, it is as if the moment that Jesus hung on the cross is happening. The moment that you accept Christ into your life, it's as if the veil of heaven is torn in two for you because in that moment, you no longer need a mediator. You no longer need anything in order to have a relationship with God. You can stand in the presence of your creator because Jesus and the work that he did for you on the cross gives us the righteousness that we cannot accomplish on our own because we are sinners. That veil tore into that day and life for all of humanity changed because all of a sudden it is now possible to experience once again the kingdom of heaven, to experience the glory of Eden on earth as it is in heaven. 
Jesus' work on the cross was as expected, it was necessary, but it was also temporary. It was temporary because Jesus descended into hell and then rose again how many days later? Three days. It was temporary because when Jesus was doing the work of dying for us, descending into hell, Jesus was conquering the power that sin has over you and I. You see, what we need to understand about the work of Jesus on the cross is that Jesus not only stands in our place as a sacrifice for our sins, Jesus is also a conqueror, a conqueror of the power of sin over death, sin over us. Jesus also did the work that Jesus did in order to be one who shows how we are supposed to live. It is our guide. His life is our guide for life on earth so that we can experience what God originally created in Eden. So what does that mean for you and I? Maybe you all believe this. Maybe none of this is new to you. Maybe you understand the truth of the cross in your life, but are you living out the truth of the cross in your life? You see, it's one thing to have Jesus stand for our sins. It's another thing to let that rule who we are as human beings on this earth. Because Jesus didn't just come to forgive us for our sins, to stand in place of our sins. Jesus also came so that the kingdom of God could be experienced right now on earth. And the only way that we can do that is to not be those Christians who say, I'm saved and I'm done. I'm saved and nothing else needs to happen. I'm saved and every sin that I'm going to commit from here until the time I die is covered, so guess what? It doesn't matter. I don't ever have to brush my teeth again. And I can lie about it as much as I want because Jesus died for my sin and I accepted him in my heart and the work is done. The truth is the work is done. But with that truth comes the call to live into that faith to be a people who are for our community, our relationships, our family, our loved ones, neighbors who we've never met but should meet, neighbors who we're going to meet in stores. We are meant to be for this world an illustration of Christ walking on earth. Jesus came and did these things because it was necessary so that you and I could be free to go into the world that's broken and be a light that we need to be. You see, it's not enough to assent to Jesus' work on the cross. We must also choose every day to wake up and live into the faith that God has given us, to live into the relationship that we now have available to us because that that, that veil has been torn. It is a choice we make each day to wake up and to live into our faith or to live into the same person that we've always been. And the call to us as we say these statements and the call to us as we say we believe that Jesus did these things is to walk in the freedom that Jesus has given us. And I'm going to tell you, it's a lifelong journey. But the more that you engage this faith, the more that you engage the relationship that is now open to you, the closer you will get to being the person that God created you to be the closer our community will come to being a representation of heaven 
on earth. So the choice that we have to make today is whether or not we're going to be forgiven sinners who simply sit in that forgiveness or whether or not we're going to be the work and the hands and feet of God on earth, living into the faith, living into the work that was done for us on the cross. I believe with my whole being that if that child who decided to take those lives had a community around them that loved them, that cared for them, that showed them that there was something more in life available to them through a relationship with Christ, a real one, that that event would not have happened. I believe with all of my heart and soul that every time something like that happens in this world, that you and I have the power to do something about it simply by being Christ to somebody in this world. We can do that to our community. The community that we live in today can look different if you and I take our faith seriously. So the call to us today is to question ourselves. God, where can I be the light? And how can I be goodness to somebody in this world who desperately needs to know that you are good? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming to do work that was not only expected, but was necessary. We thank you, Lord, that it was also temporary and that you conquered sin, that you rose again so that the story of our life isn't evil. The story of our life isn't the bad things that happen in this world. The story of our life gets to be you redeeming all things. Lord, help us to be part of your redeeming work in this world. Help us to step outside of ourselves and into a community that desperately needs to know your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to suffer, to die, and then again to rise into heaven so that you can forever be our guide in this earth. Amen.